This is Paul Gallant on 710 ESPN Seattle. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. At Gallant Says on Twitter. Text into the show at 710-710. Oh, hello and welcome aboard the Paul Gallant Show on Monday, May 24th of 2021. I am Paul Gallant and this is the most interactive sports talk show in Seattle. Fun weekend with the Seattle Mariners, huh? Oh, boy. Look, the the Detroit Tigers getting swept by them, that's more embarrassing than getting swept by the San Diego Padres. But six losses in a row, mm, not good. Losing 16-1 to on Friday, mm, not good. Losing a game on Saturday where you had three errors in the same inning, not good. Losing to the Padres on Sunday in a game where Fernando Tatis essentially put up the same amount of offense that you were able to put up over the entirety of this three-game series with a grand slam and a home run and six runs batted in. Not good. Lots of things going against the Mariners right now. It's a long season. They are in the midst of a rebuild. I know, another rebuild. And I'm curious as to how patient you are with said rebuild right now. Because for me, it's tough, even with the injuries. The young players struggling at the plate makes me think about an offseason where they had money to spend and they did not spend it because they want to wait to spend it when they are ready to go. Some organizations operate that way. The Padres don't. The Padres, they signed guys like Eric Hosmer and Manny Machado before they turned the corner and turned into what they are now. An ownership group that has been exceptionally aggressive in trying to put together a winning product. The Mariners, on the other hand, have gone back to a bare-bones operation as they try to accumulate as many young players as they can. Hopefully those young players will pan out. Jared Kelnick's here. The excitement surrounding his arrival, it has gone to the side, at least for now, and it's going to be to the side until the guy starts hitting. And you can't just call up another young prospect ahead of time, right? You can't go down to single A, Everett, and bring up Julio Rodriguez just to give a fan base another shot in the arm. That's not, it's not a smart way to operate. But I go back to this offseason, and I think you could have invested in somebody, right? And I know whenever Danny and I talk about it, we talk about usually Colton Wong. There are other options available. I wish that they had done something. I wish that they had, at the very least, been in the conversation for guys like George Bringer or in the conversation for guys like Trevor Bauer. And I suppose that even being in the conversation itself is nothing more than something that you are doing to make people believe that you actually are committed to winning. Saying that, yeah, well, we were involved in those sweepstakes. Well, how involved were you? Did you actually put together a serious offer that the player would have considered and actually signed here for? Could you have drawn somebody here to play in the short term for the money, in the long term for maybe being still the same player that they were when you signed them to that contract a couple of years later? So, this offseason, the way they're hitting, the injuries, and on top of it, some COVID-19 positive tests over the weekend on a team that, for whatever reason, is largely unvaccinated compared to other teams across baseball. I'm not getting on my high horse here and saying you should or you shouldn't, but if you want to be available for your team, 
there's a pretty clear answer to, at the very least, not having this keep you out for 10 days, 7 days. So you throw that giant turd on top of this past weekend, and if I'm like you right now, just thinking about the remainder of this season, it's hard for me to, to listen to Scott's service and hear Scott's service talk about the young players who are playing competitively and that this thing is eventually going to turn. Yeah, I thought a number of our young players, uh, you know, I thought Donnie Walton had a nice game today. His at-bat's very competitive. Uh, you know, nice to see uh, some of these guys, you know, Bedoy, I thought, did a nice job behind the plate. He plays with a lot of energy and confidence, and nice to see him get his first hit there, you know, late in the game. So um, our guys, they continue to compete in battle. You know, we're going through a lot. You know, we've suffered through some injuries. Um, you know, we're dealing with some things, losing a few players on, on the COVID issue. So uh, there's a lot going on here, and we're just at one point, one of those points in the season. It will turn. That last part, all those words before it, reality. At the end, that's wishful thinking. I hope it gets better. It's hard to me have faith that it will get better because the lineup, it's a lot of guys that just aren't majorly capable. Right now, specifically, but even with health, how sure are you about some of the players that have been a part of your everyday lineup? Evan White, Dylan Moore. Is J.P. Crawford capable of doing what he is doing? You don't even really know 100% what's going on at catcher. You want to have Taylor Trammell back up, but is he even ready? There's lots of questions, and it requires you to be patient and after 20 years, why? You know, and I feel like there is a solution for the Mariners to earn at least some people's patience back. And it would involve words, and words only go so far. Actions always speak louder than words. But I think ownership, John Stanton, would be well served by speaking publicly at some point. And saying that this is a team that is committed next year to being a lot more aggressive than they've been over the last couple. And I know that's going to make some people think about 2018 and Robinson Cano. I don't think that Jerry DePoto and the baseball side of the uh, organization, I don't think that they're going to be looking at some older player like that to bring in to a long-term deal. I could be wrong on that front. I think they have learned the mistakes of their past. All I want is for those guys to be given the green light to seriously spend. And I want it out in the open. Because at the very least, that gives me something to be patient and hope for. Right now it is, all right, well, another young player is going to come up. They're probably going to have the same issues at the plate, and I have to sit back and just hope that it eventually gets better as I watch this team on a nightly basis. That's frustrating for anybody. Here's my question to you. Because I think patience is earned on a day-by-day basis. And we know that the Mariners are expecting it out of you, whether you like it or not. After this past rough week, What can the Mariners do right now to earn some of that patience back? Some text in, 710-710 on the Mac and Jack's Brewing Company text line. Win. (laughs) Yeah, that's the obvious one. Guess what? That's probably not happening this year. That's not happening in the short term. Another text. Two things. Seeing clear signs of progress from the guys you're building around and just being competitive. Those are the optimal things that you would like to see. Those are things, though, that you hope happen. You can't make any guarantee that they will happen. And that's the tricky part about where the Mariners are at right now. 
and where you are watching this team on a nightly basis, where I am on a nightly basis watching this team, am at this point in time. Uh, to Twitter, at Gallant says, man, that one's a vicious one. Can't read that one. To take greater command, says Barbara, over the things within their control. It's frustrating seeing otherwise healthy players land on the COVID injured list when actual injuries are piling up. Thank you. For all those people that want to make this into something about personal choice, politics, etc. If you're a baseball player, your job is to go out to the ballpark and play. You have to be available. Why not do something that's going to make you more available than not? I get it. Reservations, all sorts of different things. Everyone has a million takes on it. No one knows long-term consequences. Blah, 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 blah. Your job is as a baseball player to show up and play. And if you can't show up and play, you're letting your teammates down. You're letting the people that watch you every single day down. That's the reality. Is it worth it for a vaccine? Again, that could be a personal choice. But to me, if you care about this, then do what you need to do. As opposed to half this team, which apparently has not done what I think it needs to do. 710-710 is how you text in. On the Mac and Jack's Brewing Company text line on the most interactive sports talk show in Seattle. We'll hear from you via the phones, 206-421-3776 in five minutes. When you get the chance to be heard, this hour of the Paul Gallant Show is brought to you by Advanced Hair Restoration. Right now, it's time for What's Trending, brought to you by Kings Heating and Air with Maura Dooley. Good morning, afternoon, Maura Dooley. How are you now? Good morning, afternoon. I'm doing well. How are, how are you today? I am okay. Allergies are the worst. I have been trying my best to make sure that my voice, which some find grating and irritating, does not sound more grating or irritating. <laughs> I have a bag of cough drops. I also have a uh, cup of salt water, which I have been gargling in every single break. I know, apparently that works. I have taken all the uh, allergy medications that I possibly can. And yeah, I'm hanging in there, Mora. I'm hanging in there. <laughs> well, sorry to hear that. It is a bad time of year for it. I know all that. Yeah, I, I'm not. 100%. It looks like it's snowing out where I live. All that cottonwood just flying around. Oh wow, it's that bad. Okay, yeah. I, I have no idea what it is because last year I did not have this issue uh, around this time of year. I don't know if it's because I'm taking different allergy medication or what. It's driving me crazy though. <laughs> so I'm just randomly having dry coughs. It stinks. Aw. And plus, everyone's gonna think that you're. you're exactly, sick. exactly. I was in the grocery store and I had the mask on and I had to cough for about like seven minutes. And I was just trying to hold that coffin because nope. I didn't want to freak anyone out. <laughs> All right. Well, we uh, we spent a lot of time talking about this on Danny and Gallant. This uh, broke this morning. It was pretty interesting just trying to figure out what exactly was going on. Julio Jones joined Undisputed this morning with Shannon Sharp and Skip Bayless via Shannon Sharp's cell phone and was asked how he's feeling about Atlanta. What's going on, bro? Man, nothing much. Got to go meet up with my brother. What's happening with you? Man, look. You want to go to the Cowboys, Julio, or you want to stay in Atlanta? Oh, man, no, I'm out of there, man. You He's out, out. There? He's out of there. Oh, Are you going to – ideally, where would you like to go? Uh, right now, I'm just – I want to win. Okay. Yeah. We don't go to Dallas. If you go to – you ain't winning in Dallas, Julio. He had to know as soon as that call started with the way that Shannon was talking, where he's got the broadcaster voice going. He does seem like he is presenting something to somebody else. You hear Skip Bayless in the background. I'm assuming that Julio Jones knew. I know a yeah. lot of people are going to have all sorts of different theories on this, Mora. I don't know what, what you surmise. This is a smart move on their part because this is probably getting even more attention than it would have because people think maybe he threw him on the air randomly. You know what? That's a great point, Mora. It's that that unknown lends itself to all-day conversation. And if you're the Atlanta Falcons, much like 
the Green Bay Packers had to sit in it right before the NFL draft, all those Aaron Rodgers stories, the Falcons have to sit in it. And when you sit in it, you lose some trade leverage. And that means that you probably have to make the trade sooner rather than later. I think there are teams desperate enough to make the trade that have the necessary cap space. With what New England's done this offseason, that would not surprise me if they made the move. Indianapolis, I think, is a possibility. I would be scared if he went to the Packers, the 49ers. I don't think that the 49ers are likely at all, just given what they've done with their wide receiver group the last two seasons. And I would also say, in the case of the Packers, don't think they have the cap space right now. feel like they would need to have some sort of help from Aaron Rodgers to be able to make something like that happen. I also think that Aaron Rodgers would probably consider it. That would be interesting after all the fighting they've been doing. If he's like, actually, I'll take less money if you get me a receiver. That's all I've been asking for. All I've been asking for. And uh, if he gets Julio Jones, I mean, that's great. He's a hell of a player. He's a really good player. Yeah. All right, moving on to another wide receiver, our very own DK Metcalf. Join Victory, the podcast, over the weekend with the guys from the show Entourage, which is pretty funny because he's a little young to remember that show and he actually admitted on the podcast that he'd never seen any of it <laughs> he's like i wanted to go in blind I, I i didn't want to know anything like that has anything to do with it but um anyways he spoke about his mentality on the field i know you loved hearing this when you got these these i mean these guys that are trying to guard you are freaking small next to you are you like i'm gonna just throw this guy to the ground out of the way or what like i mean yeah uh, <laughs> that's why i, I low-key turn into like a different person when i'm on the field because i'm I'm not nice, right? Or I don't try to be nice at all. So that's pretty much where the where the confrontations come come into play. It's gonna sound ironic because I'm a wiry fellow, but there's nothing I appreciate more than players on the outside, wide receiver or cornerback, who are physical. I don't like cornerbacks who can't tackle. I don't like wide receivers who are not willing to block. Now, you can make up for it if you're a truly talented wide receiver, and so many of them do make up for it so you let it slide but there's nothing better than a big golden tape fan back in the day Ooh, yeah absolutely i i listen i like that i like someone who is willing to hit somebody else even if they play on offense you see it from offensive linemen when you see a wide receiver do it and why wouldn't he because he is so big and so strong just go after these cornerbacks who want none of it and who are probably telling him oh stop it it's great i love it I wish that more corners were physical like that. There really aren't that many. I think Jalen Ramsey is. And i that's one of the reasons I respect him the way that I do. DK was actually asked on that podcast um, about, you know, obviously they, they were kind of like, you know, we know you you think you're the best and everything, but is there a cornerback that you think makes your job a little harder? And he was like, oh, I've said it from day one. Jalen Ramsey's the best corner in the league. And just watch that first game between the Seahawks and Rams last year where – I mean, they were physical with one another, and Ramsey is smaller than DK Metcalf and is still able to be physical with him. The outside in football needs to have some of that physicality back that it used to. I liked it when guys like Ty Law were roughing up smaller wide receivers. If you're a smaller wide receiver, it's your job to, I don't know, bulk up a little bit so that you can get off these jams. Instead, we have turned it into this game where essentially it's flag football on the outside, and I don't like that, but that's just me. Anyway, that is what's trending every single morning afternoon at... 10 10 with the one and only Mora Dooley. 206 421 3776 is the number to call in to the Paul Gallant show. You can also text in 710 710 on the Mac and Jackson Brewing Company text line. You could tweet me too if you want. At Gallant says, My question of the day 
Probably easier said, read, than answered. After a rough week, what can the Mariners legitimately do right now to earn a little bit of patience? You get to answer that now. It's your chance to be heard. Your voice, your opinions. It's time to be heard. Every day at 1015 with Paul Gallant. Be heard. 710-710. You know it's a bad sign when your pitchers are heading better than field players. Yeah, I've heard multiple jokes about Justin Dunn being a better Mariners bat than guys in the lineup. It's never good when you can't really come up with a rational explanation or you can't talk down a take like that. You really can't. That's how bad things have been of late. Uh, Another text, hire Theo Epstein. Man, There's a part of me that thinks that Epstein is more likely to be going up the food chain with the major leagues. And honestly, with some of the struggles that Rob Manfred has had as the commissioner of the sport, I wonder if Theo would be someone that they would consider. Say they ouster Manfred. Manfred's had a rough go of it. And the owners are his boss. I don't think that Epstein in this organization, where, where are you putting him? Are you having him replace the entire structure that you have right now? And is that a better job than the jobs that he's had before? Would that be something that would make him willing to get back into this? He did it with the Cubs. He did it with the Red Sox. It would be pretty interesting if he were able to help break three of the longest World Series droughts with three different organizations. Text in, no patience anymore. Get help ASAP. And that's the problem because if you get help right now, you have to give up something for it. That's my big frustration. There is nothing that can really be done right now that is going to make the team better in the short term. That involve that does not involve you giving up something that you have. Where during the offseason and your payroll is only $80 million and the luxury tax threshold is $210 million, you do nothing. I suppose you can wait to do something when you're finally about to turn the corner, but you're going to miss things along the way. And you have this giant bucket of cash, I assume, that you could throw at somebody, somebody good. This team in that, based off of what we heard out of Kevin Mather, which was a lot, in that Bellevue Rotary Club breakfast conference call that he did, we know that this team makes a pretty good profit off of their baseball network, Root Sports. Sounds like they're turning a pretty good return on it. And all things considered, that's impressive. So if that's the case, I don't think they're hurting for cash. And that's why I look at this past offseason. And, and, I mean, you have to assume that Jerry DePoto probably wasn't given the full range to operate. And I base that, again, off of the Kevin Mather Bellevue Rotary Club breakfast. This is the big problem for the Mariners is that that happened. And while I don't think that the problems from it are as concerning from an actual hey, this is going to hurt us as much as it's, in, it's concerning from optics. But when you add some of what was said to what's currently happening right now, you find yourself in this spot. And I don't blame anybody who looks at this and says, yeah, I, I'm tired of being patient. They're asking a lot out of all of us at this point in time. And this past week, six losses in a row, getting just absolutely outclassed by the Padres, getting swept by the Tigers. 
this series of positive COVID tests, it just all adds up, and it, it looks embarrassing again. Text in, they are calling to fire people. I don't think that it's service is the problem. I don't think that Depoto is the problem. I mean, what what are you going to do when you bring in somebody else? Is hiring some hardo like Tony Larusa is that going to make these guys try harder? Like a baseball manager just does what the general manager generally is trying to carry out as far as the process. And I feel like you want both of those guys here together because they do seem to have a pretty good working relationship. But I don't know. I don't know what else I could do at this point in time. Uh, some responses. Atkelon says, Laura says, I honestly just have to be a Fairweather fan. I still pay attention and tune in for a good game, but this weekend was happily without phone service and I missed nothing. See that? You can't hear that. You don't want people to start saying that. And that's why I feel like the best way for the Mariners' ownership to come out and maybe earn a little bit of patience from everybody is to come out publicly and say, look, we're a year back from where we wanted to be. They have to admit it. Transparency, honesty, that's fine. Because, I mean, you have to reevaluate the timeline just based off of what happened this past year with the minor leagues, and you didn't have any. You have to reevaluate it just because of that. Is it so hard to do it publicly? Is it so embarrassing to do it publicly? I mean, look, you're asking a lot, but that's all you can do at this point in time. And make some commitments that down the road, things are going to be different. 206-421-3776. Let's go to Robert and Bothell really quick. Robert, what's up? Hey, um, hey, thanks for taking my call, Paul. Um, I just want to say I totally disagree with everything you just said. Wow. There. Um, I think Scott Service should be fired immediately. There's a confidence problem. See, the problem with this, let me go in this analogy. You've only been here for about one year, maybe. Two year and a half. Now. Okay, a year and a half. I was born here. I remember when the Mariners came in the organization because I was actually an Oakland fan before the Mariners came. 25 years of crap baseball. Then Lou Pinella comes, and we all remember, you know, that great 95 season, and so does the Mariners organization because they still live off that for their fan base. And I I just keep on wondering, wow, real baseball. When is that going to come to Seattle? And then I listened to you and Dave Grosby yesterday kind of making excuses for the manager, like, oh, it's not his fault, you know, COVID hit. You know, we didn't have any um, minor league baseball. And then I'm like, how many more excuses are you, Dave Grosby, um, Jerry Diapato, whatever his last name is, I'm sorry, I can't say his name right, are going to make? Go back to the timeline, Paul, and listen to his excuses, Jerry's excuses about not making the playoffs or when we're going to make the playoffs. It's every year something comes up. I'm sorry, man. 25 years, that's a joke. It's a joke. It's People bad. look at the Seattle Mariners as a joke organization, and you're asking, what can they do? Well, we got a bunch of new guys coming up in our minor league system. Bring in a coach with some fire in his belly to motivate these guys. Appreciate the phone call, Robert. Who is that guy? And I, I, I do think that when we look at managers, we should not look at them through the prism of a, of a football coach. And I know Robert disagrees with my assessment of Scott Service. I, I don't think Service is the problem. I mean, sometimes the guys are saddled with players that just aren't good enough. Isn't that where we're at right now? Am I wrong 
with the way I'm looking at it? Good call by Robert, 206-421-3776. We'll hear more from you at 1045. If you want to text in to continue this conversation, 710-710 is how you do it. Coming up next, it's the Sports Pit. We've got Michael Bumpus next. It's 1030, and that means it's time to get in the Sports Pit. In the pit where all that stuff goes down, and if you don't have some freaking toughness, you're going to get your, you're going to fail. With Paul Gallant. And joining me in the sports pit right now is the one and only Michael Bumpus. Bump, I don't know what was worse for us, the performances <laughs> by our basketball squads this weekend or the performance by the old hometown nine Seattle Mariners this weekend. Um, you know, it all depends on how you look at it. You know, we're, we are loyal to our team, so obviously that is going to hurt a bit because it's in the playoffs. With the Mariners, it hurts, but... I mean, we're just getting used to it, right? That's the problem, isn't it? And, I I mean, to expect patience out of so many people, like Robert, who just called in in the past segment and I think laid out the frustrations of so many people with this team right now, it's it's hard. And I I asked this question, Bump, from Brock a little bit earlier, and and I know when you were here with the Seahawks, things were not as good as they are now, anywhere close to as good as they are now. Do you hear that? impatience start to manifest itself when you're in the locker room? Do you feel it? Do you feel that pressure, not just from the organization itself, but do players talk about what's being said about the team? Um, You know, we talk about what we think is wrong with the team. And you also have to realize, too, players have so many more opportunities to hear what's going on nowadays. Like back in the day, you know, I would hear John Clayne talking. You know, I, I would hear some guys on the radio talking. But... Um, If I didn't want to really pay attention, I didn't have to because it was a bit different back then. But as a team, we definitely talk about what's going on, but it's more in a in a positive light. Okay, this is what we got to do to get better. You know, this is how we change that. It's not just man, we're horrible on third downs. Man, this offense can't get going. You know, it's it's more of constructive criticism when it comes to players talking to each other rather than when the media talks about it. It's you know they they're 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 garbage here. They got to get better there. It's the same message, but I guess the the approach is a bit different. It's got to be a weird place to be in because, as you mentioned, things have changed. Now all these guys can hear it on the internet or on Sports Talk Radio if they if they still listen to that or if they are watching it on television and seeing it. And I don't think anyone's really talking about the Seattle Mariners on first take or on Undisputed anytime soon. But, yeah, it's got to be a little bit different and an awkward place to be in just given that the history of this organization over the last 20 years has not been a good one. Yeah, and, and then with, the thing with the, the Mariners too, man, it's, you know, people were optimistic early, but at the same time, you and I, I mean, you're on every day. I'm on about three times a three times a week. Um, we kind of felt it coming at the same time because we, we realized the situation. So I think that a lot of fans and a lot of analysts, whenever the M's do something good, we, we hold on to it and we're looking for a glimmer of hope. But then when – they get back to doing what we're used to seeing. It hurts, but it doesn't really surprise. Because you, know, you just want the best for these guys. That's the thing. Like, if, if we didn't want the best for the M's, then we just wouldn't care. We wouldn't be hurt. You know what I mean? It's kind of like a coach. The coach goes, when I stop coaching you, that's when you worry. Yeah. You know, when, when we stop caring, that's when you worry. And I think we're still caring, Paul. But I do think the patience is wearing thin. And, and yeah. I, I'm, I think that the, suge- the solution that I would have is, hey, if I'm ownership, I'm going to talk about how we're going to do more aggressive things this coming off season, but that's a long, long way away. Uh, Bob, let's talk about the Seahawks a little bit 
Pete Carroll was on the Rich Eisen show on Friday, and he had some interesting thoughts on what we sort of sat back and, as you mentioned, being on the radio, talked about a whole lot over the last couple of months. He talked about that Russell Wilson versus the Seahawks story. That once it got out of hand, everybody involved decided to stay quiet and refocus. We've had a really good offseason of working, and uh, and there was an ongoing media discussion that I did not take part in. John and I did not. We refused it to be party to that. And Russ did what he could once once he saw it happening to stay as quiet as he could because it, we, it was going to play and have a life of its own anyway. So what it, what it amounted to was uh, – I think a refocusing, you know, making sure that we were on the same page, making sure that we were clear so that we could withstand any of the scrutiny that would come come towards us, and we did that. Do you buy that? Do you buy that they both were on the same page, essentially thinking to themselves, let's not let this blow out of hand, get any bigger than it has it, as than it did at, at one point? I, I think from Pete, I believe Pete. I, I don't know that I believe that's necessarily the case on Russ's side. Now, Paul, I think that – Eventually, they got to that point. But I think there was definitely, at least on Russell's side, like you mentioned, I think at some point, Russell didn't care. And he was like, look, this is where I am. This is what I want. Um, so let's go ahead and ride this way. But I think Pete, man, being being the older guy, being the guy who's been through some stuff, was kind of like, all right, man, I'm just going to – I'm not going to – I can't put out this fire, but I'm just going to maintain it and, and not let it grow. And as a head coach, as a leader of an organization, that's kind of the approach that you have to take when you have a guy like Russell Wilson who's uh, – Who's not happy? You know, you have to be the mature one. It's like when you're in an argument with a loved one, right? Somebody's got to take the high road. Somebody has to keep the situation as calm as possible. And I think eventually Pete Carroll got there. I think Pete Carroll set the tone, and then eventually Russell Wilson got there. And it sounds like Jeremy Fowler, who's going to join Jake and Stacy tomorrow, they had a conversation, and the conversation essentially was something along the lines of, hey, we're not getting to a Super Bowl anymore. Russ thought, I believe I can help us get there. I have some input. And I guess the things that they've done this offseason maybe show that he was listened to, but there's a part of me that feels like the Seahawks were going to try to improve that offense no matter what this offseason. Yeah, that's what teams do, right? You get better. And you think they didn't know uh, Russ was sacked 394 times in the last nine years? You think that they didn't see him running for his life at times. You think that they didn't see him holding on to the ball at times. Like at the end of the season, what do you do? You look in the mirror, you reflect, you look at film, you look at the data, and you go, okay, this is what we need to get better at. How do we do that? So I think those moves were going to be made regardless of what Russell Wilson was saying. It just put a little more pressure on these guys to make those moves because now you have the guy who stands up in front of the mic and says the right things and is always about his team kind of step out of character and say, look, these are the things that I need. So it just it just gave it a little more spice, gave that story a bit more spice. But I agree with you, Paul. They were going to make moves regardless. If they didn't make moves, then they wouldn't be the Seahawks. These guys make transactions after transactions during, after, uh, and before the football season. So I think this was, this was a road they were going to go down anyway. Yeah, maybe Russ should have had a little more patience too, like we, we have with the uh, Seattle Mariners for whatever reason. <laughs> maybe. It was coming. He is Michael Bumpus Bump. We'll talk to you some more on Wednesday morning in the 8 o'clock hour. Looking forward to it, man. All right, man. Have a good one, Paul. The one and only Michael Bumpus. He's a Lakers fan. I'm a Celtics fan. We both, ugh, ugh, ugh. Not very good this weekend. Moore, is, Moore understands. Celtics fan, too. Ugh. Was not good. But All right, guys. The Bruins moved on, so I'm good. Yes, the Bruins. See, the Bruins actually look good. They're repping Boston, and that's the one Boston team I don't root for. So, how about that? Okay, uh, guys, coming up next, 
on this show. 206-421-3776. What do the Mariners have to do to earn your patience? Plus, we have been diving through a couple of different stories. Do you 100% buy everything that Pete Carroll and Russell Wilson are saying about the just meeting of the minds and how everything's all hunky-dory? You get to answer that next as well. It's the Paul Gallant Show, 710 ESPN Seattle. You're listening to Paul Gallant. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. Every day at 10 on 710 ESPN Seattle. Seattle. Something to monitor. I never say monitor correctly. It's one of those words where it has an O-R in it, and I, since I grew up in the greater Boston area, I have no ability to pronounce O-Rs correctly. I always do it like horrible or orange instead of the proper way to pronounce it. So monitor this situation. Someone who covers the New York Mets for the Washington Examiner, whose name I'm not even really 100% sure of because it doesn't make a whole lot of sense, but... He has tweeted out, per source, the Mets are at the very least entertaining the idea of trading for Kyle Seager. Now, for a little bit of follow-up on this, did a little digging on the old internet, and this is something that on January 7th essentially had been tweeted by someone who covers the Mets for a blog as well, Michael Mayer. The Mets have talked to the Mariners about third baseman Kyle Seager. So I think at the very least... It stands to reason that there is some interest from the New York Mets and Kyle Seager. It would be really surprising if a trade were to happen anytime soon with the way that the Seattle Mariners lineup is right now. I would be shocked. That said, subject to monitor. I don't know how much credence I'm putting into it, but just saw it out there. Wanted to run it by. Food for thought. 710-710 is how you text in on the Mac and Jack's Brewing Company text line. You can also call in as well, 206 421 3776. The question, how do the Seattle Mariners right now get a little bit of that patience that maybe is starting to waver, starting to leave you? How do you get it? How do they get it back? How do they get that patience back from you? So let's go to Corey and Pialov. Corey, what's up, man? Um, I just have one question. Why would you be surprised if the Mariners traded Seager? Right now, I would be surprised. A couple weeks from what now, do we to, I wouldn't. What do we have to lose? Well, what do you have? Who do you have to play? Who cares? If that's the way you're going to look at it, fine, Corey. I mean, you are I mean, clearly tra- I mean, uh, pull the saying. pull the trigger quickly. I'm just saying. I mean, if there's prospects out there and they want him, and that's how we take him, and well, we're not going to resign him next year. Here's well, here's what I would respond to. I I don't think it would be the worst idea in the world to think about bringing him back next year because who do you have on this team that can hit? You don't have anyone no right now. Marte. You don't know that yet. Uh, I'm pretty sure, man. He's in the minors. That doesn't matter. So he's going to hit. I'm just saying, I mean, Kyle Seager's not going to be a Mariner. And, um, but anyways, on to why um, I, I think, I mean, didn't did really expect this team to make the playoffs. I mean. No, no one did. No one thought they were going to make the playoffs. I, mean, I think people thought of, they would be more competitive this year, though. I mean, we're still not in last place. Okay. but I mean, we don't have Otani or Trout, and we're still – Beating them, I mean, we got 10 pitchers on the I.L. I mean, we got our first baseman injured. I mean, we got a lot of injuries. I mean, I understand the panic, but, I mean, at the same time, it's like got to almost kind of see this coming, you know? 
Second worst run differential, I believe, in the American League, if not all of No, we're not hitting. I agree with that completely. We can't hit to save our lives out there. But, I mean, when have the Mariners really been able to hit? It's more just, Corey, the last week. And I think that when you're asking, a franchise is asking its fan base to be patient. It has to give a little bit more back. And when you add a six-game losing streak where one of them involved a sweep at the hands of the Detroit Tigers, who are bad, then the next one, they just are completely outclassed as if they are not even in the same league as the San Diego Padres the last three games. Which and then on top are. of that, you have the COVID-19 positive test that led into the weekend as well. And all those guys I mean, that are injured. That, how does the COVID have anything to do with I mean, that's not the Mariners' fault. It's the players' fault for testing positive, I would imagine, because it seems like this is the team that is very, very unvaccinated based off of what we're seeing from Jeff Passan, like one of the least vaccinated teams. That is on the players. Uh, and Corey, you don't get vaccinated doesn't mean you don't believe. I mean, there's a lot of things wrong with the vaccination, man. All right, Corey, you've you got a lot of takes. Appreciate the phone call. 206-421-3776 is how you call in. You can text into 710-710. I don't want to go down that rabbit hole. All I'm saying is they're one of the least vaccinated teams there. They're already injured. And when you're having guys that have to miss time because of the protocols that are in place, because when you don't have an 85% vaccination rate, you have to basically sit out for 10 games, at the very least, if you have a positive test, excuse me, 10 days, and then seven days if you are, have been contact traced to the person who tests positive, then these are the kind of things that you got to be wary of. And I feel like if you're not showing up to the ballpark, you're not doing your job, period. Personal choices, all that stuff, cool. Your job is to show up. Your job is to play baseball. If you don't want to take that vaccine, opt out. That's how I feel about it. I know that they're all subject to their own choice. Great. That's how I feel about it. And I don't care about, honestly, their opinions on the matter. Okay, uh, one last thing to dive into. So we saw this report that came out from Jeremy Fowler on SportsCenter yesterday. And it has to do with Russell Wilson and Russell Wilson's change of heart. Russell Wilson was very happy with the moves, said Fowler. Seattle made to get Gabe Jackson, Gerald Everett, and got a receiver in the draft. I'm told Pete Carroll behind the scenes heard Russell Wilson and understood his frustration, so he tried to keep an open line of communication with him over the last few months. They didn't necessarily have that heart-to-heart long sit-down, but it was steady contact over those last weeks to figure out how we can get better. Because Wilson's beef was simple. Hey, we're not getting to a Super Bowl anymore. I believe I can help us get there. I have some input. And so even though Seattle, continued Fowler, does not let players dictate terms of front office personnel moves, Wilson's influence was definitely in place in this case. I don't buy that. I don't buy that. I don't. I don't buy that at all. I think the Seahawks were going to make moves to address the offense this offseason regardless. Guess what? They did. Russell Wilson's frustration, he was frustrated about things that the Seahawks knew about. So, it's interesting the way that this is being spun. It's also interesting the way that Pete Carroll is spinning it as if nothing ever took place. I don't buy that either. I don't think this was a something that was created by the media. He went out through his agent and said that these are the four teams that I wanted to be traded to. Pete even said that didn't need to happen. So, that side of it, don't believe Pete on that. And I don't really believe this report either. That they listened to his input? Eh, I don't know about that. They knew that they had to get better on offense. A lot of thanks to go around for today's edition of the Paul Gallant Show. 710-710. All the texters on the Mac and Jack's Brewing Company text line to our tweeters at Gallant says, 
to Michael Bumpus for stopping by in the sports pit earlier. To the one and only Maura Dooley behind the glass, I am really Paul Gallant. So long, farewell, Jake and Stacey are next.